Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 1 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of Raynaud phenomenon found under the MSK section at MedBullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 20-year-old woman presents to her primary care physician's office for discolored fingers when in the cold. She reports that this is not painful, but the sight of her blue fingers bothers her. She reports that it becomes white first, blue, and finally red when she rewarms her hands. Although she has tried wearing gloves, she still reports having this discoloration. She has no significant past medical history. Her physician prescribes her nifedipine. Let's continue with an introduction to Raynaud phenomenon. Clinically, it is defined as discoloration in the extremities due to an exaggerated physiologic response to cold temperatures or emotional stress. The classification divides it into Raynaud disease and Raynaud syndrome. Raynaud disease is primary idiopathic Raynaud phenomenon that is not associated with an underlying disease. Raynaud syndrome is secondary Raynaud phenomenon that is associated with an underlying disease. In terms of the demographics, the majority of patients with Raynaud phenomenon have Raynaud disease. Females are affected more often than males, and this most commonly presents in patients less than 30 years of age. Raynaud syndrome most commonly presents after 30 years of age. The location frequently affects the fingers of the hands more often than toes. Risk factors include a family history and autoimmune disease. In terms of the etiology, it may be due to cold temperatures, emotional stress, and drugs such as beta blockers. In terms of the pathogenesis, there's a decrease in blood flow to the skin due to an exaggerated physiologic response to cold temperatures or emotional stress. And there is small vessel vasospasm with impaired vasodilation and increased vasoconstriction. There are three phases. Initially, the extremities turn white, indicating ischemia. Then, the extremities turn blue, indicating hypoxia and cyanosis. And finally, the extremities turn pink with rewarming, indicating reperfusion. Conditions that are associated include systemic sclerosis or limited scleroderma, systemic lupus erythematosus, mixed connective tissue disease, cryoglobulinemia, and thromboangitis obliterans, also referred to as Burger disease. Moving on to the presentation, symptoms will include attacks of triphasic color changes in the extremities with cold temperatures or emotional stress. This will include white, blue, then pink or red and the white and blue phase may be associated with the feeling of tightness or pain and severe disease. On exam, patients may not present with all three phases. Usually they present in the fingers or toes, but it can also affect the nose, cheeks, or ears. They may have faint peripheral pulses, and one may note digital ischemia, but this is uncommon. This may present as ulcers or gangrene. In terms of further studies, Labs are only indicated if an underlying disease is suspected. And when making the diagnosis, remember that most cases are clinically diagnosed. One can also consider a cold stimulation test in order to trigger an attack. In this case, the digit will require more than 20 minutes to rewarm if the patient has Raynaud phenomenon. In terms of the differential, make sure to think about thromboangitis obliterans or Birger disease. Distinguishing factors for this are that it is a vasculitis that results in digital necrosis and ischemia. 
Also think about frostbite, with distinguishing factors being that the disease does not resolve with rewarming, and when thawed, patients may have bullae with clear or hemorrhagic fluid. In terms of treatment, conservative options include avoiding cold temperatures. This is indicated for all patients. Specific modalities may include the use of mittens or gloves. Another option is smoking cessation. This is also indicated for all patients. Medical options include dihydropyridine-type calcium channel blockers. This is indicated for patients refractory to conservative methods. Specific drugs include nifedipine, nimodipine, nicardipine, and amlodipine. Remember that dihydropyridines act on vascular smooth muscle. Another option is phosphodiesterase inhibitors. This is indicated for patients refractory to calcium channel blockers. Specific drugs include sildenafil, vardenafil, and tadalafil. And lastly, complications related to Raynaud phenomenon include digital ulceration. Remember that this is more common with secondary Raynaud syndrome. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to Raynaud phenomenon, let's walk through a question to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For this question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 27-year-old woman with no past medical history presents to her primary care provider because she has begun to experience color changes in her fingers on both hands in cold temperatures. She reports having had this problem for a few years, but with the weather getting colder this winter, she has grown more concerned. She says that when exposed to cold, her fingers turn white, blue, and eventually red. When the problem subsides, she experiences pain in the affected fingers. She says that wearing gloves helps somewhat, but she continues to experience the problem. Inspection of the digits is negative for ulcerations. Which of the following is the next best step in treatment? And the answer choices are... Choice 1. Amlodipine Choice 2. Phenylephrine Choice 3. Propranolol Choice 4. Sildenafil Or Choice 5. Thoracic sympathectomy. The best answer to this question is choice one, amlodipine. This patient's history of digital color changes from white to blue to red in response to cold is consistent with primary Raynaud phenomenon, which is best managed with dihydropyridine calcium channel blockers such as amlodipine. Primary Raynaud phenomenon refers to vasospasm of the arteries in response to cold temperatures or emotion that leads to a transient decrease in blood flow. This most commonly occurs in the digits, causing them to change color from white to blue to red before returning to normal. Secondary Raynaud phenomenon refers to vasospasm in the setting of an associated diagnosis, often an autoimmune condition such as scleroderma or Crest syndrome. In severe cases of secondary Raynaud phenomenon, digital ischemia can result in ulcerations, necrosis, and even require amputation. Patients should initially be advised to avoid triggers and to quit smoking. In the absence of improvement, the first-line medical treatment are dihydropyridine calcium channel blockers, such as amlodipine, which promote arterial smooth muscle relaxation via prevention of calcium influx. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 2. Phenylephrine is a direct alpha agonist, which will promote peripheral vasoconstriction and potentially worsen active primary Raynaud phenomenon. Choice 3. 
Propranolol is a beta blocker with activity on beta-1 and beta-2 receptors. Loss of beta-2-mediated vasodilation may promote Raynaud phenomenon. Beta blockers as a class have been associated with Raynaud phenomenon. Choice 4. Sildenafil is a phosphodiesterase 5 inhibitor that prevents degradation of cyclic GMP, promoting vasodilation. Sildenafil is indicated in patients with Raynaud phenomenon that are refractory to dihydropyridine calcium channel blocker therapy. Choice 5. Thoracic sympathectomy removes sympathetic tone to the digital arteries, inhibiting vasoconstriction. This procedure is indicated only in patients with severe disease that have failed medical management. Finally, a bullet summary. Dihydropyridine calcium channel blockers are the first-line medical therapy for Raynaud phenomenon. That's all for this review about Raynaud phenomenon. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullet Step 1 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullet Step 1 Podcast.